There are barrels of CS gas out there. This thing needs to be brought to a logical conclusion. CS gas is banned by the Geneva Convention. It would be a war crime to use CS gas on uh, a terrorist. And you think it's a logical conclusion to use it on American women and children? You've had almost two months to work this out. And you failed. What do you mean I failed? We have a deal for surrender. Walter, yeah. get him on the phone. Okay. Now. Yeah. Hello. Steve. It's been a week. You told me you were going to get me some pages. I know. But David... Uh-uh. Uh-uh. I need the pages. Gary, David really wants to get this right before he says... Don't give a sh what David wants anymore, I need those pages. The last time he sent out a message, he was embarrassed. And you saw how that turned out. Why not give him the time that he needs so that he can get it right? We don't have time anymore. Get me the pages now, Steve. I am trying to help you people, but you make it so hard. Do you have any idea what is... Hello? Steve? Back in the red. Sometimes you just got to get things started a little bit. Sometimes you got to do a couple of things to get it going, and then it starts going. Then you're good, man. Just got to get it started. You going to be okay? You going to stretch out? Yeah. We, I've got a foam roller in there if you need it. I need, I need my cold tub and the post-game massage and all that. And the, I don't think I'm going to get that here. The over 40 league you're in, that should just be mandatory when you walk off the court. You should just play in a cold tub. <laughs> yeah. With that $400 entry fee you paid, I ought to include like the uh, cryotherapy after the game or something. Yeah, something. They probably just they just have the medics on hand. That's what the extra extra money goes to. So how do, how do we do tonight? We won tonight. We pulled out a one-point victory. What was your line? I'm gonna uh, say eighteen, eleven, and nine. It was, it was that's probably fairly accurate. I, I played the uh, my wife and the kids came to watch tonight. Ah, uh, yeah. So you can't have a you can't put up a stinker if the family's gonna no. Be there. But I kind of play the Draymond Green role on the team, including the kind of annoying. Is he a basketball player? I'm gonna look over here at Point Break, Dave. So you hit people in the balls a lot. I don't kick anybody in the balls, but you know the. You know, kind of, they're trying to cross the lane. You go ahead and get that forearm or shoulder in them. I like it. And a lot of the guys out there in normal leagues I play in, it's just that just kind of comes with the territory. But in this one, they they get a little, they get a little tilted when you do that. So did you do you get a do you collect a few fouls tonight? Just a couple. I mean, this is normal stuff. But you were never no in deal. what the people that know about basketball would call foul trouble. I was never in foul trouble. I think I've played basketball since I was six years old, and I believe I've fouled out of maybe two.
two games in my entire life. Physicality was not my... So there was no flagrant twos or anything no. called on you? No, no, no. Aren't you impressed with all my basketball knowledge? Yeah. You're, you didn't, didn't need a run sheet or anything for that. Where is our run sheet? Run sheet is in my mind. See where I'm pointing right here? Oh, okay. So, so what episode does your mind say this is? So this is, tell me where to turn, episode 78. And when I was thinking about this episode, what I was thinking this episode would probably do is like win a lot of stages. It would win like stage one <laughs> and stage two almost every week. And then it would occasionally win the whole thing. But like this episode is going to be our stage winning episode. So like at the end of the podcast year, when they add up how many stage points every episode has, <laughs> this one's going to have so many that it doesn't even need to try until the last, until the finals. That's that's kind of how There I, is not a single no. listener that is following any yeah, of this. All. So my Martin Truex Jr. <laughs> joke series is not going over. Is that what I'm to understand? <laughs> Only if Denver Mattress is listening right now, or Bass <laughs> so, Pro Shop. So, like this, this, uh, this last minute of comedy is killing at Denver Mattress headquarters. <laughs> <laughs> at Furniture Row Racing, people are just high five at each other, slapping each other on the backs. You keep this up, we might be able to get. You know, we've already got a uh, pseudo sponsorship from the Dallas North Tollway. Maybe we can add Denver Mattress to that. <laughs> I'm telling you what, I'm, I'm, uh, when I get back on Twitter, I'm going to start making inroads with the NASCAR community. I like it. Yeah. Would you have preferred, well, you, were you expecting like a Daryl Wallace Jr. joke or something? I, I'm watching the East Carolina Central Florida okay. game right now. Just checking. Did you know the Rams got Aqib Tlaib from the Broncos? Again, being, on, being, off, Twitter, being off Twitter is a real detriment to the I just off-season saw it. NFL updates. I just saw it on the scroll. Sorry. Sorry about that. <laughs> Can we uh, introduce ourselves or <laughs> being off Twitter? So speaking of Aqib Tlaib talk, <laughs> the person I work with that is the cousin of David Koresh, or was at one point in time, dated Aqib Tlaib in high school. So it all circles around. I feel like this person listens to the show and then just is doing bits to get see if you'll mention it the next week. <laughs> next, next thing you know, they'll be like, yeah, I used to be a manager at Denver Mattress. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see. Just ask her if they would sell based on commission or if they were uh, a commission-free workplace and they, they just made it all about the customer. All right. All right, so uh, record you, it. you can find the, the show Twitter at Where to Turn Pod. You can find me at Glenn3 underscore 11. And if I was on Twitter, you could find me at Tommy2 underscore zero, but I still have a good solid 20-plus days to go before that seal is broken. That <laughs> one of seven... <laughs> And you can find me at point break underscore Dave. And mainly right now, I forget that Tommy's not on Twitter and I tweet at him. Yeah, I, I do that a lot. Yeah, I'm getting the emails from Twitter that are like, you have a lot of mentions and or not a lot of mentions, whatever it says. You know, you, you have unread mentions and I just delete the message and move on. They'll be there when you log back on in April. So where are we headed, first off, before we head to Central Texas for that last fateful day? Well, I got a quick anecdote. Um, there's a few things this podcast is known for. Obviously, the uh, size of certain athletes. Um, the thermos. The, <laughs> the thermos, if you will. The running thermos. <laughs> um, we're also known for... Taking uh, taking enjoyment out of celebrity 
mentioning deceased celebrities as if they weren't deceased. Okay. I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> I, I do, and I think I like where this is headed. So, Point Break Dave, I am getting my, uh, I'm getting my hair cut. Nice lady that cuts my hair is, you know, just kind of small talk and very faint. I think the front desk worker was paying, playing music. I noticed that it's Michael Jackson's Smooth Criminal is being played. And she goes, just out of the blue, yeah, man, it's it's crazy. I still can't believe Michael Jackson's dead. And without even thinking, I go, well, at least we still have Prince. <laughs> like, don't even think of the setting I'm in that I'm not talking to you two clowns. And she looks at me real confused, just like, well, Prince died too. And then you're in a weird spot. <laughs> I think you got to triple down at this point. Yeah, dude, he have his own money. Because <laughs> you either have to act like you're just so out of touch. You clearly didn't watch the Super Bowl halftime. You clearly avoided about a month's worth of news when right after he died. Or you're just like, yeah, I knew he was dead. I just think it's funny. No, no, you triple down. You say, what, next thing you're going to tell me Chris Cornell's dead too? <laughs> no way. No way. And by the way, it was uh, it was good for Michael Jackson to cover Alien Ant Farms, <laughs> greatest song. But yeah, it was it was as soon as I said it, I was like, "This huh, is, this yeah. is bad." I don't think that goes over well with the general population. Yeah, they don't appreciate that humor. So, so I'll t- I've got one thing, and then we can get into the 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 meat, the travesty in Waco. <laughs> The mistake by the lake, whatever. What do they call it these days? <laughs> I went to a, uh, I went to a religious event last night. <laughs> okay, <laughs> what made it religious? It was at a church. Oh, okay. No, I went to a an event. So, so imagine. Do you have a sister? Don't you? I do. So imagine if your sister and your mother made their way in this world by being a traveling mother-daughter duo that went around and talked to people about how to have the sex talk with their kids. That's... <laughs> okay. So we were treated to I'd a... like to not imagine that, but go ahead. We were treated to a mother-daughter duo that... Uh, that's, that's how they make their way in this world. They have a, a curriculum. Oh, yeah? And they, they travel around and they... Lots, they, lots of pictures. <laughs> They take turns uh, going over the different parts of how to have uh, how to talk to your children about about sex. PowerPoint. Yeah, they. Uh, we went through the Pelican package. <laughs> was it just sex, or was it the burden of sex? <laughs> so I feel like that there's enough here for we pretty much probably going to have to do a whole episode on this. Maybe we can we can assault KJ with this if he ever joins us on the show. We feel like that could happen. Uh, it's anything is possible. You think, you think to be maybe honest with Glenn, you. you could pull that off? I don't know. But one thing that I, I uh, one line that I, I said last night that I was pretty proud of got some laughs. And by the way, let me tell you, laughs were hard to come by last night. Everybody's pretty serious. So hey, it's you're, a very serious topic. People don't come to laugh when it's time to talk about <laughs> sex, covering the draft of sex. <laughs> so you're at a church having a 
discussion about teaching kids about sex. And you're in there trying to do a stand-up routine. Yeah, but let me tell you. Let me tell you this joke that I pulled off. And you tell me You tell me if you wouldn't have been standing to your feet and applauding enough that I came out for another five minutes onto this set. All right. So to quickly set the stage, the, the, uh, the mother and daughter... Their their overall philosophy is that that the uh, the sex talk, and I really want to do this as a topic because I feel like this there's a lot here, but it's not a one time thing. It, it it's a uh, an evolution, right? Okay, so and that so, makes sense. So maybe you tell your kids when they're four years old that like, hey, the stork doesn't bring the baby, and then you tell them at six, you know, about that, and then you know when they're thirteen, you're talking to them about S- Stormy Daniels. Yeah. <laughs> you're like. Watch this with me, son. <laughs> but but um, the the um, example that she was given is is when kids are in kindergarten or first grade, she says, you know, many times they'll hear something at school from another kid in their grade that may, perhaps has an older sibling or you know is 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 in a household where they're exposed to more things, and then your kid will come home and ask you know some crazy question, and you have to be prepared to answer that question. So she, she gave uh, the example of like, yeah, like what would happen if your you know, child came home and said, you know, well, why, are, why do men and women look different without their clothes on? And I was like, well, wh- well, what if my son came home and said, so how did Mark Cuban pull that move off? <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was a great line. Got no reaction. Well, Nothing I got a little bit all. of reaction from the people at my table, but uh, it didn't play. It I didn't play well. Yeah, that's. But, but how did he pull that move? <laughs> well, it's a difficult move. <laughs> I mean, this was. It, were they at a club? Is that where they're at? Because he was drunk. Yeah, they were at a club, and it was confirmed that she was wearing jeans. That's my. You know, you hate to get into doubting anyone's allegation, but if we're going to go ahead and put doubt on it. Yeah, I mean, that's a difficult move unless she had just shown up like she was like, you know, I'm going to wear some Umbros tonight yeah. to the, to <laughs> hang the club. Out, yeah, hang out in some nice sweatpants tonight yeah. at the club. I think that I think you took a big risk with that. I don't know who was around you. You may be gaining a reputation for nonsense. For risky behavior? Yes. <laughs> we talked a little bit about risky behavior. You may not time. be allowed on the committee on committees anymore. <laughs> All right, so should we uh, should we get to Waco, gentlemen? I believe we should. So what we have before us tonight, um, episode six of six. This was the final episode in the series. Do, you, we will, do you think there'll be a sequel? <laughs> as we get to at the end, <laughs> if there's going to be a sequel, it's going to be pretty tricky. <laughs> a lot of things took place that would make a, uh, a sequel difficult. So... We start episode six, and one of my favorite ongoing bits in the show is happening. Koresh is listening to that dang radio station again. <laughs> and I think it's supposed to be KR- KRLD. Yeah. So I don't know if you yeah. heard. I think it was, it may have been last week, but but uh, Junior Miller was, what, it was whatever day the actual anniversary was. 28th. Wait, no, 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 no. The, the, the fire or the... 
raid. The, I, I don't remember. Whatever whatever was this week or last week. I guess that would have been... Yeah, that was the initial... The initial. The initial siege or whatever it's called was February 28th. But Junior was talking about it and said he was working at KRLD at the time 25 years ago and was on the oh, air yeah. when Koresh called in. And, of course, he was doing like a sports update or He's something. He's doing a ticker. And said that they his producer or the... the I don't even know if it was the producer. I think he said it was like the... Uh, the manager of the station, like the cat man of KRLD, came in, kicked him off the air, and took Koresh on and, and dialogued with him. So that part of the story is a little fishy. There wasn't some guy doing a crazy crazy religion show on the air that Koresh called into. He just called into KRLD, and the reason was because KRLD actually does reach all the way to Waco. Yes, yeah, it's a strong only, signal. Yeah, it's the only station that, I guess, reaches that far down. Probably so. Yeah. So I guess they the the conspiracy host was just a character that was made up for the show. I I don't know. I mean that's that's also just kind of keeping the plot moving along a little right. bit too. Kind of like kind the of fake little... radio announcer in Madhouse. <laughs> Another <laughs> reference. There's no way. There's no way anybody gets that one. I would. I'd go four figures that no one listens that watch Madhouse. But that show did have a fake radio announcer to it keep did. the plot moving. But yeah, I think that's, and it also gives kind of a serves as a third party perspective. Maybe yeah. what the public was mm-hmm. thinking during the during the fifty one days. So the episode we start. We're still not going day to day, day by day. We start at day forty, right? They kind of show the compound. Steve, not doing well. No, I he thought they did horrible. I thought they did a yeah. good job with the uh, makeup design in this episode because I thought everybody looked terrible, especially Steve. Everybody had bags under their eyes. Everybody looked like the uh, what is it called? The uh, psychops or whatever it was called. <sighs> Yes. That was finally working. That was working. Oh, yeah. Steve looked the worst of all of them. Like, he looked like the last days of Lincoln Hawk's wife. <laughs> <laughs> he really did. When she- Do you think anybody else in America <laughs> is doing a, a review of Waco and has referenced Madhouse, Lincoln Hawk's wife, Martin Truex Jr.? <laughs> like, there's no, there's no way. Like, that parlay, they, there's not even a, a pay table that could calculate what that would pay. When she died in the hospital of just insanity, <laughs> they, they just basically put her to sleep. So you've been you've been actually doing some pretty legitimate research into this. Well, I've gotten a little distracted. Oh, so was the story this whole radio call thing? Was the story about them turning the satellite dish to signal the radio station? I can't. I did not look at that. I didn't look that up. I mean, but. I can't imagine that that's completely made up. It'd be a pretty bold thing to make up. Like, I don't know if that, you know, maybe it occurred on day 40 or maybe it just occurred sometime during the the standoff. But yeah. I, that seems like a big one to make up. Well, there's two funny things about that. And I hope you guys caught this because, well, one is the radio host takes a call from Derek. And I just kept thinking of, well, Derek is here. <laughs> <laughs> But that's not the main thing. So, so the host is so they they're, they've got the guy on the phone and they notice the satellite dish and the host gets so excited because he goes, the dish is turning right now. They can hear us. And then he says, if you can hear us, turn it again. So like he's affirming that he can hear it. 
and then he gets real excited. He's like, can hear us. And then he goes, is there anything you need? And I'm like, that's not a yes or no question. <laughs> <laughs> like, so like Tim's in there just spinning the thing around like, like a million times. Send milk. <laughs> we need milk. Let's be in an ice chest. Tibbs does everything. Yeah. Tibbs is digging graves. Tibbs is doing everything. And how did he figure out how to spin the satellite dish so quick? He just also, runs up there and just does it? Let's keep in mind that this is partially based on his book. Where he's <laughs> going to be like, you know, technically Don did this, but nobody's going to know because Don is a pile <laughs> of ashes right now. He, the last chapter of his book is before the fire. He talks about finally taking the burden of sex on himself. He's like, and she was shocked when she saw the signs. <laughs> when she saw the thermos. <laughs> but he, he, Tibbs does a lot. He but does. he's he's struggling, but he seems to be holding it together a little better than the others. He's not as physically physically drained. The The women are frustrated, too. They are beaten down. So it's a beaten down group. There's, and they're not coming out. They're not coming out. Well, they're 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 lawyering up. Yes, but before before the lawyers show up, Koresh makes the statement that they're hanging in, they're staying, they're not coming out. They're just internally, not on the phone call. But he also mentions that there's gonna. He alludes to a second battle that's going to occur, and that they're all gonna die. That may have been my <laughs> signal to be like, well, we had these terms. We're working on seals. I think we got to that by this point, hadn't we? No, no, no. You're okay, I don't want to skip ahead. Then. Yeah, you're away let's ahead. let's keep it, keep it. But you're saying at that chronological. Point, that, that's the point. That's the point when you just kind of ease out the back of the <laughs> yeah, chapel. You just gotta <laughs> like that Homer Simpson <laughs> gift where you back into the bushes, <laughs> <laughs> just back out the door with your hands up. No, but uh, Chris says that, and five seconds later, he hears a go kart start up. <laughs> when did just frantically pull it up, and <laughs> trying to get it to crank. No, but they have a they have a banner hanging outside that that demands their loggers get there. Mm-hmm. And boy, these two guys could you get more two stereotypical Texas guys than these two? That's. Literally, the next note I says, could they have gotten two more stereotypical Texas lawyers? <laughs> That's what it says. I think these were big-time attorneys. And these At guys, least one of them was. These guys had their cowboy hats on. Yeah. I wonder, if, I could have done research before the show, but I wonder if, if one of them was the guy that represented Durst, because wasn't that guy a big cowboy hat wearer? Oh, yeah. To put mm. a placeholder in that, when we get to conspiracy talk. Fred Durst? <laughs> How's he doing? I think he's still alive. I think they still tour and play the House of Blues. What? What? What's the foundation room or the, the, the smaller one? It's called the chamber. Uh, no, it's not the Chamberlain. I forgot what it is. I know because every band I Cambridge see plays room. There. Cambridge room. Cambridge room. I knew it was a C. It's basically just a a round table people sit at and a small elevated stage. When the when the lawyers were going in with their cowboy hats and then while they're in there like. The helicopter is just flying in circles <laughs> around the compound. So I just wrote down, does the helicopter just fly laps like at all times? Like, has that been going on for 30 days? Like, the guy's just in there, like, just kind of got the <laughs> stick kind of cocked over to the left and is just, just running laps around it? Dude, like I said, was gas free in 93? <laughs> like, they are wasting so much money. But the reason that the lawyers are there is... Um, 
David's kind of got a plan now, an exit strategy. He does. He's got an end game now. He's he's felt like that he's got a word from God that he needs to go ahead and write his final manuscript about the seven seals. So can I interrupt you just and real then, quickly? Yeah. Dick DeGaron was the name of the attorney. Okay. Most notable for defending Tom DeLay, Alan Stanford, David Koresh, and Robert Durst. There you go. Wow. Bingo. What a call. Wow. And all I did base that on is I've seen the guy played by two completely different actors. Well, I guess one was in reality, but all I remember was the cowboy hat. Yeah. And there it goes. Nope. Did you ever watch that cowboy show? Cowboy hat right there. Did you ever watch the Robert Durst show? Jinxed? Um, no, but there's a movie that's based on that that has uh, the dreamy Ryan Gosling in it. No, they, they reference that movie a lot in the documentary. And I highly recommend that movie. You should watch Jinxed. It's a uh, that's on HBO. It was at HBO. Yeah, right? it's like a six part. But and be another, w- it would be another fun one to talk about because well. boy, you want to talk about some some shady dealings. Yeah, you want to talk about a lawyer earning every dime he got paid. That guy in the cowboy hat, he pulled off. <laughs> yeah, he he pretty much did the uh, hypothetical scenario of like if you get caught on video with the gun <laughs> doing the crime, and you confess to it, and he still gets you. Free and clear. That's pretty much what he pulled off with Durst. Not quite to that extent. But. So the lawyers show up, and the FBI kind of rolls their eyes. Like, yeah. what do we got here? More probably at the cowboy hats. Probably, speaking of hats, the FBI needed to update <laughs> their hats. They had like the plastic net in the back with the, the over-foamed front. It's the cheapest it's like hat. the worst hat it's ever. Like, it's like the make the FBI great again hat. <laughs> I mean, so low rent. And what's bad is the... The jackets that Gary wore a lot, pretty cool jacket. Yeah, with the FBI lettering on the back, hats just terrible. completely ruins it with the hat. Awful. So the attorneys make their way into the compound, and their mission is to broker a deal here. Right, make sure that David gets a fair shake because I think right. he's can. I think he's been able to convince himself, or the, through the lawyers, have convinced him that he's got actually got a shot to be free and clear of all charges. Self-defense. They even commented that the bullet holes going through the door were all clearly going in and not coming back out through the door. Right. You know, adding validity to the fact that they were assaulted and that they didn't start the fight. And DeGaron already has a narrative. He communicates to Koresh, and I think Steve was there, a couple of other guys, and basically says... A jury is not going to convict you with based on that story. And if they had watched the Jinx and seen this guy in action, yeah, they would be like, "Hey, we're good." <laughs> we'll come out was, now. He was never. It didn't. It didn't matter. He could have had. I don't know if Johnny Cochran was still. Yeah, he had to have been still alive. This was in '93. If Cochran and Shapiro had walked in there with Daguerre, it wouldn't have mattered. He was not coming out. <clears throat> so then. They broker the deal, which is give David a week, let him write his manuscript, and then they're all coming out. And that seems like a weird time, right? Like, if you're going to write a whole manuscript, wouldn't you ask for longer than a week? Well, here's the other thing I thought. So the FBI, all they want is to get it over with, right? Gary's pleading. He's like, hey, just give him a week. He'll be done. We're not going to turn the power back on? We're not going to send a... A PC in there with word perfect. Yeah, they should have sit, sit like a stenographer in there. Yeah. Let, let well, they had a they had a typist who has a rotting <laughs> finger. Who the, she's she's typing it out, and her finger is 
openly bleeding. So you mean to tell me that there was 70 people in that compound and they couldn't find one better person to be the typist? There's 69 people in there with working two working hands and they picked the one picked that the doesn't. That literally has one finger available on her left now, hand or right hand. Of course, the adults there, yeah. But I was reading a little bit today about the uh, the kids that were released during the first you know few weeks or so. And how they had they had all the ones that had always lived there. So they were probably only like five, six, seven years old when they when they left uh, during the standoff. And how difficult it was for them to adapt to society because they were so amazed at I'm trying to think of what this one survivor listed off. But she mentioned that the first time she saw like used a toilet that could flush, she had no idea like what was happening or what was going on. She didn't know what a basketball was. I mean, you can relate to that, but <laughs> but she. I think there was one other example. But they, like, I'm not surprised if there are people there. Maybe that showed up there when they were teenagers or, or young adults. They're not developing typing skills. So I'm not that shocked that there's the only lawyer though. Yeah, he that probably was my could type. that was my pick. Right, the guy that can guy clearly he gonna... can take apart a generator. Surely he can type. Oh, that guy. I thought you yeah. meant DeGarren. I was like, no. he's not even tight. No. The lawyer yeah, can you imagine a- his hourly rate? <laughs> Branch Davidian lawyer. <laughs> well, the other guy was busy taking the Dave- generator apart and putting it back together over and over. <laughs> David would have had to burn the compound down to collect insurance to pay his legal fees after making that guy type for a week. So here's one other thing I wanted to get to. So the crew, the other people inside the compound, now know the plan. They're all... They're not celebrating, but, but they're they pretty... Seem, they seem relieved. They are very relieved. I kind of question that. Like, it was portrayed that way in the show, but I, I don't know. They did have bugs. They had bugged the milk. Yeah. Um, but I don't know if that came from recordings that captured how excited they were individually or if they were, you know, as a group. Probably from Tibbs. Maybe so. But here's the thing about Tibbs. So, they've been in there for... Almost 50 days now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're six weeks in, basically. We get a nice uh, short scene with Tibbs talking to the girl that he's, he's about, trying to get with. He's about to close the deal. And he's, Boy, he's still thinking about it, isn't he? He's eating some terrible like rationed oh. cracker. And Tibbs is dreaming that when we get out of here, I'm going to eat an entire box of fish sticks. Boy, I'm glad you finished that with fish sticks. <laughs> <laughs> into myself. <laughs> All I'm thinking is that's the kind of guy that joins a cult. The guy that the highest thing he can think of right now is a box of fish sticks. You don't think she should have just turned to him and been like, dude, you're going to die in a fire one day. <laughs> I just thought it was funny that even 41 days in, like he's still trying to string it together, though. How do you think the grooming issues were in there at that time? Six weeks into a standoff. Oh, I bet it smelled. I, I couldn't believe. I was thinking when the lawyers walked in there that they were going to be like, whoa. <laughs> you think that would have been inappropriate if he'd have walked in and started wet, shaking his, <laughs> like, his cowboy hat around? <laughs> we had to leave a door cracked here or something. <laughs> Good thing there's all these bullet holes that ventilate this place. Also, rest in peace to all those people. Yes, all those people. Tibbs, but uh, but uh, the girl kind of kind of let it be known that, hey, if we get out of here, I'll oh, come yeah. visit you in jail. And then... She would... She, Hey, and that was a very genuine scene. No, it was because he said I'm gonna have. I'm probably gonna have to go away for a while. And she said, 
I'll be there however long it takes. I'll be the one standing there when you get out. Yeah. Just ready. And you know, you know, even if you haven't seen any or followed any of the backstory, you know once that line happens, she dying, but yeah. <laughs> she ain't coming out of this yeah. one. That's the I'll be right back in a, <laughs> in a horror movie. So time progresses a little bit and Gary's starting to get frustrated because David won't even provide any proof that he's writing the manuscript. And Gary sees the other side and he knows He know he knows what's coming. Yeah, time is not on restless. David's side. Yeah. And he tries to communicate that that my my bosses need to see something. You don't not the whole thing, but they need to see progress because what they think is this is just a stalling tactic and we're going to get a week later and he's still going to be like oop I haven't even started yet. <laughs> yeah. And I think this might be the point where Steve starts to get really frustrated. Yes. Because Steve's acting as the mouthpiece at this point because David's busy um, dictating to the one-armed typist. Who's and, Steve's wife. Fair point. And all Steve wants to do is just get a couple of pages leaked out so that yeah. Gary can see that at least they're doing something. Maybe like the typist was doing such a bad job that like when they went to look at the pages, it just didn't make any sense. It's like, you know... <laughs> Like when people just type a response and it's just a bunch of just odd like letters all together. JKLs yeah. over and over again. I could see that. But um, but there, you're definitely starting to get the sense that, um, that, that even after 50 days, now time is becoming a very, very important factor in the, in the, um, in the way this is going to play out. Patience is very thin. Yeah. Flat top man is, he's still got that grimace look on his face and he just always looks like this is not working. We need yeah. to do something different. Yep. So around this time, uh, our main FBI guy who I uh, finally, after episode six picked up his name is Tony. Still have no idea what flat top man's name is, but no. uh, Tony's the guy that says Korish. Right. So he and flat top man are now in Washington DC with Janet oh, Reno. Yeah. 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 And they're floating the plan of like, Hey, we're not going to kill anybody. We just want to get authority from Washington to gas them out. And Flat Top Man is very confident that they will put the gas in there and people will come running out, hands up, ready to surrender. And let's add the footnote of we also strongly believe that children are being abused in there. Yes, and uh, he got very reflective in his voice when he said that. Yeah. He said, of course, um, children are being abused and that's why we're going to gas all the kids that don't have gas masks. Yeah. Exactly. Makes it makes perfect sense. <laughs> so when they return to Waco, they have trucks full of the very offensively named CS gas. <laughs> Do you have any idea what CS stands for? Have you ever been called a CS before? <laughs> no. Uh mm, I was trying to think of something it could stand for, but but there's also this amazing footnote that CS gas has been outlawed by the Geneva Convention. So Interesting. while CS has up. been outlawed at your house, <laughs> obviously, it's also been outlawed by the Geneva Convention. Right. And that was by that time it had been outlawed, right? Well, that's what they said. Yeah, okay. But this isn't like the... I think earlier... When they were wanting to do something, I don't remember if it was the lights and sound. There was another point where Gary's telling 
Tony and Flat Top Man, like, this isn't an approved FBI tactic, whatever you're about to do. Doesn't it seem like those guys should be a little more concerned? Like, they have to know at this point, this is going to be scrutinized. Why are we out here throwing kind of oddball things, even if they got approval for it? Like, you have to know choosing to gas a place with a bunch of kids in it is not going to play well in the history books. Yeah, but I think they were convinced that once they did that, once they start shooting the gas in Everyone's going to run and out. And they start tearing down some of the walls, and they have the infrared whatever so they can detect where everybody is. So to the best they can, they're not going to tank in a room where everybody's right by the wall and just run them over or anything like that. That I, I think they were convinced... The majority, if not all, would just start running out. Now, and there were some factors that if it was, especially with the vault that the women and children got in, if that's all accurate as to <clears throat> their circumstances and being trapped in there, they wouldn't have they wouldn't have been able to see that that they had no way out of there. True. So about this time, Gary gets pulled off the case. And he very ominously says on his way out, he says, you can't remove these people by force. You know, Gary was uh, right till the very end convinced that the only way they were going to come out is if he was able to talk them out on their terms, that that they weren't coming out by force. And I think that was the day before, maybe two days before the... The last day was yeah. when that happened, when Gary was let go. And Gary had an awesome Jerry Maguire moment on the way out. They cut the phone call, and he's like, says to his little mustache buddy, he's like, all right, let's pack it up. We're getting out of here. <laughs> and then he's like, actually, they asked me to stay. Yeah. <laughs> Who's going with me? <laughs> Wait, nobody? And I have oh, a note Gary. about that guy for, for later, the other negotiator. Wait, does it have to do with CS gas? No, it does not. Does it have to do with any part of that? Maybe just the first part? There's or? a C involved. Okay. I was just curious. Because that would be quite a theory. So are we going on to the actual deployment well, of the gas? Well, negotiations are going south. Gary's been let go. We've got the mustache guys kind of stepped in, and he's he's pleading with them to come out. But he's, t- he's telling them that without giving the exact details of what's going to happen is yeah. if you guys don't come out, we're we're coming in. Yeah. And Koresh is telling them, no, I mean, we had we had a deal. You're violating the deal. And I think that was when he ended it with, uh, if you proceed with this, it's going to be one of the saddest days the world has ever known. Yeah, they didn't expect to die in there or anything. <laughs> no, no plans at all. I mean, why would you, why would you say that? Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. So did the tanks really need to have American flags on them when they were going up there? Is that for real? Have avenging I, angel or whatever I, I painted think that's, on it? I think that's accurate. But I mean, they had they had like stuck American flags in the back of the tanks. I mean, is that? I don't know. Well, they can't have the Branch Davidian flag. That'd just be confusing. <laughs> yeah, what are they supposed to have? Like the 12th man flag or something. <laughs> can't I can't do that. You get sued by one school or one franchise. So, when they were doing the running the tanks in to deploy the gas, 
So can I? Sorry, I'll, I'll shoot it right back to you. But can I? Can I uh, tell you about my personal experience watching this the night that it aired? All right. It's when those huge storms were coming through. Oh yeah. And I was behind. You know, I'm watching on DVR, but I'm only like 20 minutes behind. Um, it's raining so hard outside, but I, you know, signal's fine, recording's fine. S- satellite, satellite. Ooh, rolling the dice. I know, but this really never happens. But um, so it gets. <laughs> How many times have you said that? It, uh, I don't know. It um gets to the point where the attack, the assault, you know, whatever. And Steve is mad because they call him. The mustache negotiator calls him and says, hey, we're coming in. And Steve is mad because he's like, we had a deal. We had terms of surrender. He goes out, and I guess he really walked out the front door and threw the phone at them. <laughs> I can't imagine why he that showed didn't, them. That didn't end it. <laughs> so my experience is I'm seeing that. Steve turns around, walks back in the door, and yells to everyone, get your gas mask. And then my entire screen, it's like the climax of the show. My entire screen just goes straight pixels. Oh, no. Lost the rest of the recording, so I had to... Well, I had a similar experience, okay. but uh, but I was I, you uh, you were watching it the day of. I was watching yeah. it multiple days later. So I uh, started the recording, and it said, some of your programming may have been lost due to signal malfunction. And I thought, whatever. So I watch it right up till right around that point. I think I actually made it a little bit further in, but it's like right when the tanks are starting to penetrate the walls, and then it goes pixels, 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 and then Tibbs is standing there in the ashes. <laughs> and I was like, whoa! <laughs> oh, oh, no. All right, Dave, what were you going to say? I was just going to say... You guys both finally did watch the part you missed, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, no, I did immediately. I uh, okay. I used the Paramount app, which is oh. where I also pulled the audio clip that started the show for your Oh, very nice. By the way, nice job on the audio last time with the Crash song. Well Thank done. Thank you. Um, how flimsy was that building? It was very... There's no way that would withstand the Waco weather we've been led to believe. <laughs> you don't think that thing was up to code? <laughs> no, it was very flimsy, and obviously it was just a matchbox as well. Did you guys notice the the oh incongruity with the weather and time of day there, too? That it was night? They, they, they When the assault started? Right, but it was night, and then... I believe it was maybe Steve or whatever said they're they're driving tanks right at us. They get up, and then when the um, I'm gonna have to really choose my words carefully here. Like the the shaft <laughs> of the gun barrel penetrated the wall. Is this how what they talked about at church? <laughs> yeah, they said to always refer to it as a shaft or a thermos. <laughs> how many walls were there? <laughs> Four. <laughs> you have any follow-up questions? <laughs> no, no further questions. Um, it was bright as day. I know. How okay. do you screw that up? How do you mess that up? It's ridiculous. Because the assault started, I think, shortly before six a.m. that morning. So this, you know, it's sun hasn't quite come up, but we're that time of year. We're I don't know thirty minutes from that or so. But yeah, moments later. Like a door opens or a building gets knocked down. That's so why he just gets hit with like a like a two in the afternoon ray of, ray of sunshine. Of sunshine. Oh man! So 
I know that Point Break Dave was griping about the hats. So I have a gripe. I don't feel like the gas masks that they had inside the compound were period correct. Those look like 2018 gas masks that they were wearing. I don't know if you noticed, but they uh, the the lens on the gas mask was very rounded. It almost looked like the um, the ski mask that some of the the modern day skiers are wearing, and the uh, the breathing apparatus and the strap in the back. It all looked like very modern technology. It didn't look like 1993. I, I feel like that gas was masks. just so you could see their faces and know when they had the gas mask on. It's like the uh, uh, what's that movie? Talladega Nights. Like the helmets in there have like a huge visor. Have you ever noticed? Oh see yeah, the so you yeah. So you can see who it is. So you think what they really had was like the the World War <laughs> One and Two bird? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Those pictures are so creepy. By the way, yeah. boy, that yeah, that takes me down a totally different path. You think it gave it away that the gas mask had like an Under Armour label <laughs> on them? REI running down the side. So why did they have gas masks? What was that about? I don't know. I mean, they had automatic like weird, weapons and right, grenades. I mean, that seems like a weird thing. They if, were preparing for a battle. If you're a totally peaceful... But they're not. ...compound, why would every man, woman, and child... Well, not child, but a man and woman there have a gas mask? Like, at what point were they thinking, like, we really are going to get gassed in here? You guys, you guys don't have a gas mask in your house? <laughs> no, no, I don't. Okay. Do they make gas masks for kids? I bet they do now. Would that have been a red flag if he's like, I also need 24 <laughs> for like some two to five-year-olds? <laughs> don't know if they have those at the Army-Navy store. Should he have asked the FBI when he asked for milk? <laughs> Can you also just get us some gas masks? Yeah. Just in case. Just, <laughs> don't read, don't go work out. Don't read too much into this. Like, it's not really because you're going to send gas in here. <laughs> have you seen this lady's finger? <laughs> That's a shade of green I've never run across before. So the assault begins. Yes. And they are not slow playing this thing. Avenging Angel is... No, it's making it's making hay, and they do show that Gary's now arrived at his house and is just watching it on TV like the rest of us. He's out of the picture. Yeah, but that was after... The first stages. Yeah, I mean, of he's it. you know he's just they cut to him a few times and yeah. he's just kind of giving you the disapproving uh, shake of the head. He knew it was going to go badly. Yeah. As the gassing is intensifying, Koresh's two primary wives, fingerless woman and the one that Point Break Dave has a odd attraction to, Rachel. Yeah, Rachel. They kind of lovely Rachel. They kind of decide like. Yeah, this I, <laughs> and they grab their uh, kids that they have at hand, and they're like, "We're we're done, we done." Yeah. So they head out through the uh, the buried school bus, or I think that was their plan at least. That was their plan. School bus, little too buried. Yeah. Turns out maybe maybe it, what if it like was half buried, and then once Tibbs got there and they realized like what a good digger he was, they were like, "Hey, could you go ahead and just bury this all the way?" And it just completely backfired. Like if they'd have brought anybody else to the compound, it would have never got buried that deep. Mm. Do you feel? And maybe I'm just drawing conclusions off a few stories I know. I feel like the school bus is a big player in real wheels off cults. I don't know if you guys have ever... Uh, I think there's something there. Do you have at least one other example? Yeah. Um, and why am I blanking on his name now? The guy that's in jail. 
that uh, Junes does the impression of. Why can I remember his name? Oh, Charles Manson. Manson. Yeah, I've watched way too many documentaries on Manson, but when he had like all the hippies out in his little ranch or whatever, there was a school bus there that they would stay in. Okay. And it was on top of this like really steep mountain. And when the police finally got there, they asked like all the people that were still there, like, how do you get this up there? And they're like, oh, he flew it. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's what they said. They said he flew it up there. But that's like a, it's part of it. If you ever watch anything, there's this weird school bus there. So I've seen an RV fly and space balls. <laughs> Never seen a bus fly, I don't think. But yeah, watch out for... Watch out for bus cults. <laughs> yes. So now, the, now we've got a little flames entering the picture. So... And, and now they, things are getting scary. Do, do we classify that as a little flame? Well, it starts as a little flame. Yeah. But apparently CS gas, highly flammable. Well, they that was not admitted early on. It was several years later, I believe, before. The Normathon broke that story wide open later on. Oh, yeah, at the end. But um, as far as how it was pr- portrayed on the show, they committed... As to who set the fire or what caused it, they they made no play there. No, it it was. If anything, it probably leaned a little bit that it started through all the shenanigans of the ATF and FBI. Uh, Perhaps we certainly didn't see Steve or Koresh running no. around with a, uh, you know, butane lighter. But they were already at this with little, point with a little bic. Uh, yeah, I didn't see that. Happen. No, at this point, the FBI is already just. Standing and watching the compound, and you know, there's parts of the dialogue that's why are they not coming out? Right. Why is no one coming out? And, and then, I think it, there was a total of like eight or nine people that did, during right? The and course, they're looking but, at the heat signatures and they realize they're all huddling in the vault, so then they're like, Well, we got to get shoot more gas into the vault, you know, so they yeah. reposition a tank. So th- I think they were definitely taken off guard. Um, that people didn't just come running out with their hands up, but they didn't know that whenever all the women and children got in that vault to the Davidians. It seemed like the safest place to go, but it was, I mean, the instant they shut the door, that was just a, that was a death trap. Right. There was no way out. Um, I read that as they, cause the building being so flimsy, um, as they started to ram the tanks in there and shoot the gas in there, that anybody, it destroyed much of the like infrastructure, of the building itself. And there were a lot of people that were trapped on the second floor and could not get out because everything's just collapsing, right. you know, below them, around them or whatever. And one, they're just one story. They're just shut in there. What? Just saying everyone, oh. everyone's jumped off a roof at some point. It's, it's not like they're on the top of a 15 story building. No, I mean, there's some legitimacy there. It's an odd claim. Everyone's jumped off a roof at some point. Have you ever jumped off a roof? No. Have you ever jumped off a roof? Yes. I've jumped off a roof into a pool before. Oh, no. Wait, what did you say right before you jumped? <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't I'm a golden god. I'm sure it was, hey, watch this. So as the building's starting to collapse, there's this like very flimsy piece of like vinyl or plywood that's <laughs> kind of half blocking the door. David cannot move this thing. And I'm sitting there going, anybody could do this. 
This is not this is not dramatic enough. Yeah, like, Tim Riggins would have pulled that thing out of there. Oh, one handed while he was drinking a beer. Yeah, I was with the say, other. Tim Tim Riggins would have, would have could have done that with no hands if you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> you think he would have pulled the where he just knocked on the vault all night, just knocking? I'll, I'll just keep doing this. But that was and yeah. I get it that he wasn't able to remove the debris and get people out of there, but yeah, they probably should have put something in front of it that seemed like no one could possibly move this this object or all the all the debris. And they built it out of balsa wood, so you think you just <laughs> that's, that's what I don't understand. That looked like the flimsiest possible material and Koresh was struggling. But it's a tremendous I mean and this is uh yeah, I made a note that not surprisingly with the the kids and the women where they were trapped, it was a very tough watch just yeah. watching the episode oh, because yeah. they were stuck. I mean, I guess the only fortunate thing is I think the vast majority uh you know, the coroner's reports are that they died of smoke inhalation. So that's that's what I was gonna ask. Are we to assume that those children were all dying from the gas or the smoke? I think the smoke. Okay. Because they kept showing the gas, like, looked like it just kept pouring in from the yeah. tank. And I'm going, so is that toxic enough in that concentrated of a dose that they're dying from that? Or Possibly. Or were they just dying because of the carbon monoxide? Can I, I, can I ask a dumb question? Yeah, go ahead. That's, that's all we really do here. Gustav is going to punch his dash when he hears this question. Do gas masks protect you from smoke? Because I feel like what firemen have, it's actually oxygen getting pumped in. Right. I think all the gas mask is going to do is filter out yeah. bad like particles and pathogens in the air to an extent. But you, if you don't have oxygen... I feel like smoke is too... Especially right. in an inferno, it's too concentrated. Right. If you don't have the oxygen, it's not going to create oxygen out of nothing unless you have it hooked to a tank. Right. So I think the answer to that is no. Okay. Right. And I think the gas mask question. is really not designed as a long-term breathing solution. I think it's just made to get you through cramping up. Yeah, actually, yeah. Do you need to stand up? No, I'm okay. Um, okay. Do you want do me you to stretch some... you in some homoerotic way? <laughs> do the, the stretch where my legs <laughs> yeah. above my head. Pickle juice? Do that later. Um, yeah, I, I, smoke inhalation, and I believe within that vault or bunker, whatever you want to call it, that there was also parts of it that collapsed. Now, obviously, after the fire, there were you know two or three walls that were still standing, but I believe the the ceiling of it which, you know, supported by whatever supported by, and I think some of the parts of concrete broke apart and fell on them while they were in there too. So I think that was, for the most part, they died of smoke inhalation or blunt force trauma. Mm. That doesn't make it that much better. But, I mean, no. it, it, they don't believe that they, like they were in there. Death. Yeah, they yeah. didn't burn to death. Oh, there's a lot of disturbing details when they found the bodies and stuff in there. Because the fire eventually got in there. Oh, yeah. They were probably already done anyway, but like the women and with their children or the children themselves were huddled together, like holding each other. Oh, man. So when it came through, like when they found the bodies, the body, the heat of the fire, the bodies were like fused together. Oh. oh. Which is... Way, thanks to bring for, the, way to bring the room yeah. down. Merry Christmas. Well, let's try to bring it back up. Well, so, okay. Yeah. First, do we need to talk about Flat Top Man? Well, I was going to say, bef- right before that, while all the cast is going on, Tibbs is like, 
I'm jumping headfirst out the window yeah. because I've had enough of this. So he runs through fire yeah, and just goes straight out the window headfirst. Well, first he looks for the girl for well, a while. Well, yeah, I know there's this dramatic yeah, fire run back hallways. and forth through the But he realizes fire. that that's a lost cause. Yeah. So and He's got to get out. Now, I don't know that he jumped through a window, but I his story was that he, he got out like just in time before it was too late. It's pretty clear that's what happened. But to Dave's point, yeah, let's go to Flat Top Man. Because he may be now starting to have a slight bit of regret. He uh, he starts realizing, as we've said, no one's coming out. And he sees the heat signatures all in the thing. So he runs around to the... Where you can see in, the there's a little gap between the ground and the top of the bus. And... Sweet Rachel mm. is trying to claw her way out, but just can't. And he goes over there. And I'm going to say, I wasn't real pleased with his effort. He's not going to be able to lift up a bus. Yeah, but, but he just like... didn't even try. He keeps kind of digging around. It's like, you have like tanks. You got time. Go hook one up. Pull that bus out of there. Let's go. Well, here's another... Don't just claw with your hands, which isn't working. Here's another obvious question. But but I get it that maybe they should have thought of, hey, they've got this thing buried. Maybe we need to have some sort of mechanism that would just... Like a crane that would just hold onto that and just pull it up. But also, shooting gas in there. They know, it to some degree, it's flammable. Oh, yeah. They also fear these people are going to kill themselves. A fire's an option. You're going to plan this assault and attack and... You don't like, hey, why don't we have somebody from the fire department here? No, that that's and that point was raised uh, by the uh, radio host at the end. Yeah, too. but what? Yeah, what a what a great point. You, you Where, where's that level of safety? You can't run a spare drag race in Temple, Texas, without safety crews on hand. But you can run a FBI assault with tear gas. But Flat Top Man is in a panic as well. They've, I mean, he knows. For one, he knows this is not going well, and he's going to be to blame or partially to blame for it. But he also... <laughs> he shouldn't want to hear Gary being like, I, I, I told you. I mean... <laughs> but he I also has the realization that he sees Rachel, and if he sees where the women are, he knows the kids are in there. Yeah. And he knows that they're stuck, and he knows that they're dying or dead, and we've got to get him out there, but it dawns on him that it's too late. Too late. Speaking of too late, something else interesting happened about this time between David and Steve. Indeed. Yeah. I kind of liked this scene because no words were exchanged. It was a knowing look and a nod, and Steve knew just what to do. David pulled the pistol out. Took his gas mask off. Took his gas mask off, handed the pistol to Steve. So this is... I don't know if you would define it as a conspiracy, but just a point of speculation as to whether he shot him because that was kind of their agreement mm-hmm. or understanding that if things go badly, you'll take me out type of thing. Or did Steve shoot him in like a last ditch effort to shoot him and then try to get out of there? Right. Now, in the show, in he the made show, no, no attempt to get out in, of there. In, in actuality, yeah, I think there's a theory that Steve had gotten so frustrated with him during, right at the end, like as far as like their absence of an escape, that he that he took it upon himself to 
end it. He took on the burden of guns. Yeah, boy. And then right after in Ooh. the show, in the most the most Man. shocking of ways. But if if that's the way it went, okay. So if it's gone south, to say the least. Yeah. But if Steve <laughs> think truly, things are not going well at this point. <laughs> if Steve truly believes that David Koresh is who he is, and he just murdered him. Imagine the level of guilt that he has at that moment. There's, it's desperation. You know, you're probably gonna die anyway. But he could not be at a lower moment at that no. point. But boy, the uh, the scene of him just putting the gun in his mouth. Wow. Oh man, that was just that was disturbing. So back to the we, we talked about the fire and how it started or whatever. I think one of the the defenses from the FBI and just generally speaking, if you are on the side of the Davidian started it was the, the infrared heat signals or whatever that they had detected that there were three different parts of the building where fires started and they all started essentially simultaneously. Is it possible that the gas started all of them? I guess, but that's it awfully big coincidence three different parts of the compound at the same time yeah and there were survivors of one guy in particular who said that it is he was escaping he noted he could hear people with mercy killing suicides or whatever was going on and as he was trying to get out of the building he heard people ordering to spread the fuel, spread the fire, that type of thing. So mm. whether they said it, maybe the gas led to the ignition, ignition of one or more of the fires and they just kind of capitalized on that. Like, hey, we're going out one way or the other. This is our opportunity. Empty the generator. They sure, didn't, they sure didn't allude to any of that in the show. At the show, it seemed pretty, no. pretty much just out of control. Well, like you said, the compound was made of balsa wood. Pretty much. Um, another thing as the pointing the finger at the Davidians was, uh, so they had bugs within the compound and in the FBI reports, they reported, they, you know, they hear conversations and this was not the day of the assault. This was, you know, days before that there were members that made jokes about kind of like, what if the place burned down? And I think one guy joked about, I've always wanted to be a charcoal briquette something like that that i mean that's not like it's not that funny no i mean it no it's not as funny as your line at church obviously but <laughs> no nothing will ever that's be. kind of like circumstantial that doesn't prove that they said it but it's an awful it's an awful weird joke to make especially if they weren't recording if a they, podcast <laughs> if they if they didn't have that uh that plan drawn up already yeah i know i agree so they another thing is and i guess it was true because they showed real footage later i don't remember the fire being that big but it was oh yeah i mean wow that was so up until the involvement until until the fires just engulfed the whole place like it started the uh the negotiator with the mustache is still standing uh have you ever you guys ever seen the mad max remake no yes with Tom Hardy, that's who's in it, right? I don't know his name. So there's one of the the vehicles that has the guy playing the guitar. Yes. <laughs> that's what I thought of. You don't get it, but no. but the he's the negotiator's front of that just stack of speakers, just telling them to 
please come out of the building. Please come out of the compound. So in the show, that guy was portrayed as the last person to talk to Koresh on the phone directly. I want to say that his name on the show was Walter or something. But the last guy to talk to David Koresh on the phone and negotiations and everything before the assault, before all that kind of stuff, was an FBI agent, obviously. And his son attended Columbine High School and was there on the day of the massacre. He was a student, and that guy went to the school to basically see if his son's okay and whatever. And then he became, the F- at the beginning, the local authorities were taking care of that, but he was like the inroads of the FBI getting involved by chance that his son went to school there. You're starting to creep me out with all your conspiracy stuff, sir. That's not a conspiracy. That's a fact. That's just a connection. Or was it? I wonder if the Asian sniper was at Columbine. I was kind of disappointed that we didn't get an appearance by him in the last episode. <laughs> you think he was sitting there when Tibbs jumped out the window? I got the, this one, guys. Yeah. <laughs> this he long sh- hair. He shoots him and plays the duck hunt sound effect. <laughs> <laughs> He's falling out of the... So they, they kind of move quick to cover off the aftermath. But one thing I thought was funny is, so Tony FBI man is having a press conference and he real quickly calls it a mass suicide. And I'm kind of going, yeah, now you want to just drag the brake a little through that. Yeah, some of this was a little bit involuntary. Yeah, if you think you think he had his talking points down from their press secretary real quick, uh, yes, we were trying to prevent a mass suicide from happening, but we were unsuccessful. Yeah. Hey, history's written by the winners. Then the radio host, my... Uh, one of my favorite characters in the show goes down the laundry list of tear gas incidents that resulted in a massive fire. Yeah. Does he have that committed to memory or probably had a great intern? Yeah. Someone's looking that up for him, right? Yeah. They had to go probably to go to a library or something. Microfiche. Microfiche and a little Dewey decimal. <laughs> no Google back then. No Google. And then they, uh, they go to Washington, D.C., where uh, apparently there was hearings going on. I'm assuming there's probably a lot of hearings about what happened. Um, before that, Tibbs had to go to jail, but didn't it, didn't it say it was only like two weeks later yeah, that he got out? he was out of jail out? in two weeks. But in his defense, he didn't shoot anybody. I don't see how they could prove it. But yeah, I was thinking at that point, if every other witness is dead, your defense is pretty easy to say, yeah, I didn't do anything. Yeah. I was there. Yeah, prove otherwise against my will. Or I was I was there to try to protect the women and children as best I could. So I don't know what the play is there. If you're the government, you know, at that point, is it such a just cluster that you just don't worry about it, or do you need to have somebody like a Tibbs take a fall just to show that you were right and these were really bad guys? Because then if they go, oh yeah, and everybody that escaped. They're they're on the street now. There were a lot of people that did jail time. Okay. I just can't remember which ones. And it, it may go back to Beard Man, that they were able to identify him as being one of the perps that was definitely shooting at people the first day. Yeah. But there were there yeah, were a bunch of people that did interesting time. Interesting thing to do if we if we did do a conspiracy episode is just look at what <laughs> happened. If. To, yeah. Look what happened to everybody that came out of there as far as jail time, not jail time. Yeah. Etc. Et so in that, which I think was, well, it wasn't the very final scene, but in the hearings, 
Gary testifying in D.C., cutting it a little close on time. He, like, walks up, sits down for two seconds, and they open the door, <laughs> yeah. and they're like, all right, they're ready for you. He's like, <laughs> he's like he's me. <laughs> like, what time What time do I uh, testify? Oh, it'll be at 10 a.m., 9.59 and 57 <laughs> seconds. I'm kind of, like, sitting in the chair. So did Gary know who Tibbs was? They never um, had a face-to-face. I'm sure he could figure it out or had figured it I out. I feel like... There's only so many people that came out of there. But he never talked to Tibbs on the phone. No, but I feel like... So they didn't have a relationship. In, in either in the tent where they had all the stuff, I feel like they had pictures of everyone, and I feel like Tibbs' mom showed him a picture at one point. Yeah, like, th- my I son... Think, that's true. I think he would have known who he was. You noticed in the in their tents, they had all kinds of pictures like making fun of Koresh. Drawings of him like with a guitar and stuff like that. So they're supposed to make fun of him? I thought they were supposed to just show how cool he was. <laughs> oh. Well. I don't think that was their intent. So then, to close it all out, we got Tibbs back in Waco digging through the ashes. What does he find? I question how much later is this that he's just allowed to walk out there? <laughs> oh, I figured it was the same day. <laughs> I mean, like, he reaches out. He's like, ah, it's so hot. <laughs> I guess it's got to be weak because he was in jail for a period of time. Jail for a couple DC, of weeks. So DC. this might be a month later. I don't know. Yeah. Just guessing. There's like four feet of snow on the ground when he comes back. It's like a, there are palm trees There's and a beach. <laughs> blizzard season in Waco. But he finds the... Uh, Finds the drum, the drum key that he gave the little girl, just to just to tug mm. at your heartstrings one more time. Oh, that sucks. That was a tough. That was a tough watch. I know we've we've had had a chance to laugh about it tonight, but it was tough, man. We're laughing at the show's portrayal of things, not but that was a the tough, event itself. That was a tough thing to deal with. Yeah, I saw some looking at some pictures today of the after effects and you know people cleaning up debris and stuff and there's just a bunch of you know pieces of the building trash and whatever and like one image i saw was just there was just like a front wheel and axle of one of those go-karts just kind of <laughs> sticking up out of the ground these kids have never seen a toilet that works but boy they know what a go-kart is. yeah they had go-karts and lots of them too <laughs> i didn't know they didn't have working toilets that, that's what this uh survivor said when she was interviewed so i guess not i'll tell you this though whether they had maybe they had a trough where they had working toilets or not it all comes back to the trough they didn't have enough bathrooms in that place for a hundred people or whatever they had in there that compound wasn't a you know 60 and 48 or whatever (laughs) it was like a 64 and two yeah well, we know from when uh, Liguizamo got there and he was looking for the bathroom. <laughs> He's walking around the whole place. Couldn't find anything. So what, what it, overall, what did we think about, about the show? I, I enjoyed it and have recommended it to, uh, to several, several people that were saying, I'm looking for something new to watch. I said, you know, it's not a big time commitment, but I thought the acting was great. Um, you know, sure, you, you, know, you could take exception with some of the narrative being maybe a little... Um, slanted towards the Davidians, but no, overall, I thought it was a great show. I'm glad we invested the time in it. Dave, what about you? Um, I agree the show was good. I would say it was more than slightly (laughs) written to spin towards being pro-Branch Davidian. 
which is always the problem with anything like this. Like they're going to spin it. However, the uh, writer wants to, um, however Tibbs wanted to. Yeah. But, um, no, it was good. I'm, I'm definitely glad we watched it. We'll give it seven thumbs up. Do you right. guys want some Twitter questions? Let's do it because we're we're already over our normal time, so they don't have anything to do with Waco. Let's but. rapid fire some Twitter and get out of here. All right, uh, Gustav wants to know what docudrama is next for the North Dallas Tollway faith based podcast of record. I think we need to give some consideration to the Jinx. I okay. would agree. I've never seen it, so I've but, seen but it, I but I would story. be willing to watch it again for the show. It's it's pretty fascinating. I'm interested, and it. Ties well, in I'd nicely. also be interested. Oh, sorry, Dave. Yeah, I was gonna say it ties in nicely with this show, which we didn't know until you looked up that lawyer. Oh yeah, what was his name? DJ Dozier, Dick DeGaran. Yeah, DJ Lemayhew. I know him. Three weeks away, man. Man, there'll be so much DJ Lemayhew going on. KJ wants to know when Lent is over. April first, April Fool's Day. Is that right? Yep. I'm going to tweet so many times that day. <laughs> just so pin up. You're just going <laughs> to so your Twitter The scene. volume is going to be impressive. Tweets hitting the ceiling fan. Yeah. Do you guys give anything up for Lent? Other than Twitter? Oh, yeah, that's right. Wow. I just don't I'm, put I'm, things together. I'm really worried about you. Yeah. I didn't. I give up giving up things. That's what I do. You give up paying attention to the show? Yeah. All right, those are, that's the extent of our questions. Um, thank you, Waco. So we'll be back with a more traditional episode next week until we get our next uh, next gimmick, and maybe hey, maybe mix in a special guest. Negotiations are are happening. We're gonna give everyone at least a, a week off from it, but there's going to be a Waco conspiracy episode. City